Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP. Hello, and welcome to our Let's Talk Data podcast series. Um, we are in series three, and throughout this series, we're talking about the power of combining enterprise AI with intelligent inform information management in order to drive data-driven innovation. Um, my name is Ginger, and I'm your host for this series. In this episode, we're going to talk about some uh, use cases and key capabilities that we need to support those use cases. I'm joined here by two of our um, of our leads for SAP Data Intelligence. We've got Mark Hartz here. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, where are you today, Mark? Uh, I'm in Germany. The sun is shining, and it's getting late on my side here. Oh, that's right. Sun is shining and Mark—it's always you're always having to work late and Kevin's always having to work early. So Mark is our product owner, so he's involved in everything about the development of the product, what's going to come with SAP Data Intelligence. And then we're also joined uh, way far away from him, uh, Kevin Poskett. So Kevin, where are you today? Hey, I'm in uh, Vancouver up in Canada today, and it is starting to turn into fall. So in Vancouver, that means the sun is not shining and it's probably going to rain for the next 10 days straight. Oh, <laughs> all right, Mark, you've got the better location, even though Vancouver is totally beautiful. So we appreciate both of y'all taking the time to be here. So Kevin is our solution owner. So he's our holistic owner of everything that goes on with the product, including how we deliver that product to you. So these are the best two people, Mark and Kevin, that we can have here today to discuss the major capabilities and how customers are using SAP Data Intelligence and how what are some things that we've built uh, to 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 uh, to help meet the customer's needs. So we're going to talk a little bit about our favorite use cases and the challenges that that, that those uh, had and how they were solved. So as you guys talk about your favorite use case, I have to throw out mine first because I totally love it. Um, and it's the one I was just on a call the other day explaining to some people about what it is. And this use case, everyone can always relate to it because everyone has a dishwasher. Well, maybe not everyone has a dishwasher. That's not true, but lots of people have dishwashers. And one of my favorite use cases is about a company who makes dishwashers and they wanted to know both how is the dishwasher performing, what's it doing from an energy uh, perspective, how are the cycles doing, how much water is it using, what's the temperature, to also the user behavior on the dishwasher. So my dishwasher has like 15 buttons and I use two or three of them and that's it. And what this customer was doing, they were taking everything and putting this stuff into data lakes and trying to analyze all this information. And But they kind of got stuck because they weren't able to do it until they were able to use SAP Data Intelligence. And then they were able to combine this information, put some analysis on it, and really see how customers are using the dishwasher and also how they're performing so they can make both a better product and one that meets the customer needs better and they don't waste time on features that customers don't use. I love that scenario. Everyone really starts to understand what data intelligence is with that. But I know each of you have your own scenario, so I'd like to talk with both of you about what's your favorite use case scenario, what challenges have you seen with the customer, and what are how we're solving it, and what are some of the key capabilities? So, uh, Mark, since it's getting late for you over there in Vancouver, we'll start with you, then we'll go over to Kevin. So, yeah, so, so speaking of my, or thinking of my, um, let's say, favorite customer use case, I mean, there are a few w w popping in my, in my head. I mean, what I really found impressive is um, a lot of the challenges and a and, and lot of the the gaps customer have to overcome, especially if it comes to um, where they want to bring together um, data they have in enterprise systems or maybe then together with uh, 
some pictures or unstructured data. And uh, what I remember, which was also a pretty cool, um, pretty cool uh, case we we built, was also with a with a car dealer, um, where they basically wanted to help their um, their salespeople um, by getting a better estimate how much money they could make with a let's say a resale car. Um, so what they come up with was a solution where they could also take you know. A picture of a car, and then we recognized, okay, what type is it? Um, and with a few parameters attached, um, they were able to um, predict in the end also what they could um, what they could get back as a value on the, the free market. And when you think about what you need to bring together, uh, is actually quite a lot, and that is not easy. You need your um, your sales data based on your history, which obviously and hopefully sits somewhere in the SAP system. Um, then you have a few open sources like um, um, reselling uh, marketplaces where you can search for, let's say, comparable models. And then you have the whole algorithm and the whole logic uh, bringing that together and also predicting how that uh, will evolve. And I think. And that was, of course, more like um, like like a like an innovation case also from them how they could help their sellers to uh, do better deals and better um, let's say offers to their customers. But if you think that through, um, you could easily transition that to so many different use cases, um, um, which which is for me quite uh, fascinating. And I will later talk also a little bit about what the technical means. I mean, the technical things you, you have to do and overcome, which is actually uh, not that trivial, but uh, I'm not sure. Maybe first to, to Kevin for for his use case. Yeah, so thanks, Mark. And and I, I've got um, I've got two use cases. One is, is something that we did that I think is really interesting, and the other is something that came up in a conversation that I just think is funny. So I'll start with the kind of the stupid use case because no one no one would do this other than for fun but and I have a friend who's an engineer that I um, have been friends with since before I owned a dishwasher ginger and uh, he put something on my my Facebook page about uh, what is the optimal search pattern if you're looking at, at where's Waldo um, so it was a correlation of all the places Waldo's been found in books, and then someone someone actually ran an algorithm to determine the optimal search pattern. And so I thought, you know, what we could do with data intelligence is take it one step further. We could actually take images of Waldo and train a, a, a deep learning model to automatically identify um, Waldo in directly in inside of a picture from the book. And it turns out that someone's already gone and done this. So just, just because I thought it was silly, I went and looked it up, and someone has built and scripted the TensorFlow model, has the training data set and everything. So one use case that we will never do, but I thought was funny, is you could automatically find Waldo. Um, now, a much more meaningful use case uh, would be for organizations that have heavy um, asset management uh, requirements. So anything with large machinery and, and in particular like on in the manufacturing floor um, where a single hour of downtime can cost you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars. So what you're trying to do is, is trying to figure out one, are we going to have issues in the quality of the finished product um, because those become scrap and it costs us a lot of money or is it potentially possible that we might actually have a breakdown on the manufacturing line? 
And if that's going to happen, um, how do we prevent that from occurring before the breakdown causes an issue with production? And, and we have a customer that was kind of doing this. So one of the things that's very common when you're talking about applying AI or machine learning is it's often feasible to address a use case uh, once in, in, a, in an experimental environment. So what they were doing is they were taking um, pressure sensor readings off of molding presses, um, and they were also taking infrared images to detect heat patterns on the plant floor itself. And they were taking that pressure sensor data, they were taking that, that infrared image, and then they were also taking um, some information out of their, their ERP system, their SAP ERP system around <clears throat> the material masters, the production line, what goods were likely to come through. And they wanted to bring all of this together. So first, <clears throat> they needed to do a feature extraction on those infrared images. So an infrared image um, kind of looks like, you know, a, 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 a hippie's flashback, right? It's sort of tie-dyed, it's got green and yellow and red. What you ultimately need to do is break that down into underlying individual components. And so you know red is generally, that's a heat signature. So you need to know where those heat signatures are and you have to break that all down. Combine that with pressure data. Uh, generally, when you have pressure, you have heat. And if you have too much heat, that often means that a part can fail, or it could mean that the pressure is too high and that could cause a defect in the line. So bringing that together and then putting it into um, a machine learning algorithm in order to output a probability of whether there's gonna be quality issues. They were, they were able to do this, but what they ultimately wanted to do was put this into some kind of nice <clears throat> mobile app so that people on the, the manufacturing floor could actually identify, here are potential issues in the line, let's go sort them out. The challenge, and this is, this is very common, is even if you've managed to solve the problem once, how do you solve it in a repeatable fashion? So as the line is moving along and things are being produced, all of that data is being streamed and moved in real time. The inference pipeline is there. You're actually getting the probabilistic score. It's feeding into the app. And it's really important in a use case like uh, this sort of predictive maintenance or predictive quality use case that you have it live because finding out, you know, three days later that you knew there was going to be a break doesn't do you any good. You kind of have to know in advance. And so where they used our solution was they were actually able to orchestrate all of these complex flows of data from image data to sensor data to structured data to unstructured data involving uh, things coming off of operational facilities, things coming out of their enterprise data center and their SAP ERP system, uh, things coming off of, of cameras, and being routed into a cloud-based data lake, and they could bring that all together, apply these uh, feature extractions and algorithms all in a single solution, and ultimately deliver that data directly to this smart quality app, and now all of a sudden you actually have something that's production ready, meaning it's, it's running consistently. Um, as things are coming through the line, you're getting that data, you're able to address problems before they happen, as opposed to being able to technically solve um, the, the sort of data science question of how could I predict when there's going to be a break? That's, that's difficult and that's important. But if you can't put that into a production environment where you're actively making these predictions as the, the process is going on and actually putting that directly into the hands of end users who can make decisions before they become critical, then it becomes just an interesting experiment. So what I really like is we took a problem that they had um, I guess theoretically solved and, and made it so that it was a production ready solution that was actually delivering value to the business. That's a, that's a good scenario. And with that, I think that's a good place to 
to, to kind of double click and talk a little bit further about what are the things we had to do both for that to happen and also mark for your for the for your favorite use case as well mark do you want to start with some of these or kevin if we just go a little bit further on what are some of the capabilities that we had to do and how we're solving the problems i mean i mean I, i'm happy to, to to get it started and then maybe uh kevin of course can can take it from there um I do see that there are a lot of, let's say, similarities in nearly all of the customer projects and, and cases um, we are seeing. Um, and, and it's not so important exactly what the, let's say, the use case is overall, because technically it's quite often the same pattern. So, so quite often we first have to think about where can we get the relevant information? And that is usually a set of, um, let's say, distributed sources. Uh, sometimes there are data lakes uh, included with uh, unstructured data. Sometimes it's just a, a business system like an ERP system. Sometimes it's just a database. Um, and the first, let's say, challenge and first thing in nearly all of the projects is exactly let's say, bring these sources together, overcome the gaps, find the similarity in the data, which is quite often um, the, the biggest challenge. So to think about what are the same standards, what is the, the format, how can you do a mapping, for example, um, that is mostly time consuming. So people spend a lot of time on those activities to integrate and to process the right data at the right place um, before they can actually do something smart. The, the part of doing something smart and, and, and implementing the, the fancy part of it, so meaning the AI or the, the machine learning or applying um, or tra training a model, um, that is then, of course, for the, uh, for the, the brilliant uh, data science community. But effort-wise, they have to invest a lot before that, before they can actually apply that. So the, the so if I would really name the, the, the biggest challenge I see with, uh, with the customers nowadays is first of all that, that we have these gaps, that we have these uh, distributed sources. And then on the other side, that in, in a lot of organizations, the knowledge of, um, let's say, those tasks and the responsibilities of those tasks are splitted. Right? You have your more traditional focused integration IT kind of audience, and then you have a data science um, machine learning oriented um, community. And it's, it's not really a spoiler alert when I tell you, usually it's not the same profile of people. So usually uh, those people are different. Um, but to be really successful, I do believe um, and to achieve such scenarios, what Kevin and I laid out before, I really think those people need to collaborate. Um, because in most of the cases I see, um, it's hard for them to collaborate. Um, because on the one hand side, there is security concerns. There are all of these challenges I, I mentioned before, which is really, really, really hard for them uh, to find exactly this common view and this common uh, let's say, way how they can implement that in an efficient way, because there is a lot of fragmentation how they solve it nowadays, and there is a lot of uh, different tooling and methods out there. But what um, what they really need and what would be, uh, let's say, the best for, for most of those customers would be an end-to-end -end oriented way, an end-to-end -end oriented process to really 
tackle uh, all of these challenges in a way that is um, consistent and has a certain life cycle attached. And of course, it's not a surprise that um, this is exactly what we intended to, to solve also with, um, with data intelligence. So I, I, would, I would agree there and, and say that, you know, in a number of these use cases, the, the challenge is somewhat a technology challenge and somewhat a collaboration challenge and somewhat a business process challenge, or rather an evolving business process challenge, in that a lot of organizations um, that have decided to invest in machine learning or data science um, have done so in such a way to create these independent teams that are working on really, really interesting use cases, um, but they're really focused on solving uh, one part of the puzzle. And it's a really important part, which is if I give you all the data, can you derive some meaningful insight from this data? That's great. Um, the analogy that I like to use here, um, because I love to cook, is when you have these data science teams, it's almost like if I give you all of these ingredients, can you make me this amazing meal, right? And, and your data science teams are like these Michelin star chefs that are creating these incredible um, you know, results. That's fantastic, but then the next question is, how do I serve this to 100,000 people? I, I need to understand what you did with those ingredients. I need a recipe that I can follow, and it needs to be repeatable. Um, I also need to understand what happened to it, and I need to have control over where the ingredients came from, what's being done to them. I need to make sure that, you know, if, if certain people have food allergies, that, that I have uh, transparency in this line through the ingredients to the prep, to the creation of the meal, to the delivery, that I know that I'm meeting the needs of my user. The same kind of thing exists when we start talking about, you know, what I'll call scalable enterprise artificial intelligence. We have teams that can do truly amazing things with the data once they have it, um, but one of the figures that gets tossed around is upwards of 80% of a data science team's time is actually just spent trying to find the data that they need and then trying to get that data into such a format that they can go and build the models themselves. Um, the development of the model and, and the really interesting, super technical piece where we have different algorithms and frameworks and we build a model and we think it's a model of good fit, um, that's where a lot of people think the, the time is spent. But the reality is a lot of the time is actually spent just finding the data, sourcing it, making sure I can trust it. Or once I've now got this model, how do I turn that model from this amazing, one-off, completely bespoke, fantastic thing to something that I can repeat over and over and over again at great scale. Because just because I've solved the problem once doesn't mean I can go and solve the problem 10,000 times a day over and over and over again. And, and that handoff from these data science teams back to IT organizations is often another area where a lot of time is spent. Uh, you know, anywhere between 60 and 85% of models that are shown to have value in, a, in a, what I'll call an experimental environment don't often make it into production because the data science teams go back to IT and IT says, well, we gave you the data and then you did something to it. I now need to be able to replicate everything you did to the data in order for this thing to work. And I don't necessarily know what it is you did because you've scripted it in a language that I don't understand um, or I'm not quite sure where this data even came from. I can't trace it back. So being able to go from 
how do I give data science teams the agility and freedom to go and find the data that they need from distributed sources, as Mark is talking about, right? So data could come from third-party data providers. It can come from your on-premise data system. It can come from sensors. It can come from logs. It can come from just about anywhere. And how do I make it so I can find that with ease, give the data science teams what they need to go and do the actual work of understanding the data, understanding the business problem and building the model. And how do I do that in a collaborative way so that when the data science teams turn around and say, put this into production, and I can say, well, I know where the data comes from. I know what you did to it. I made it easy for you to find it. And now because you've done it on sort of the same solution, I actually know everything that's happened. And I know how to put this into production and completely repeat what you've done and then be able to trace back what has happened and say, you know, if the model's not performing the way that we expect it, let's go back and look at how what we've done in production is different than what you did in the experimental environment and try and figure out how we troubleshoot and diagnose and, and repair this. So it's, it's not any one individual technology so much as having everyone working together on the same solution, being able to speak each other's language, being able to have the tools that they want uh, and that they're comfortable with in order to do their job and actually working together as a team and being able to scale out the capabilities of all of the people on that team and play to their strengths, um, as opposed to just hoping that one team with one very rare and very you know expensive set of skills can just take care of everything. I mean, I, I always like to say that the evolution of the data scientist is to go from being the all-star who's doing everything to trying to be more of the, the coach of the team and, and making sure that you're using the capabilities of all the people in your organization. And then yes, providing your expertise on top of that um, to break through the, the technical challenges as they come up on more of the pure, pay, pure play data science and, and model development side. But Kevin, let me, let me also place a, a, a bet here because I think um, that if companies truly you know, want to be successful, they have to overcome that burden and that gap between those different communities. And what I see when, I, when I'm currently in, in customer workshops is quite often that they are already, you know, something like, like we used to have in the past, like a few years ago, um, a lot of customers built like business intelligence or BI competence center kind of setups. And I do see that this is repeating right now. I do see that, you know, there are now virtual groups being formed where the data scientists have an active role in it and are embedded in the team and are, you know, they have a fraction of it. And I, I do think the time has to be over where those people are sitting in a lab environment uh, in their, you know, nerdy cellar kind of thing. And then, yeah, that's now maybe oversimplifying, but, um, and, and we just dump the data there and then they do something very, very smart and, and everybody is happy. I do think uh, to be successful, there need to be new setups. And, and that's not only, and you, of course, the tooling uh, as well. But I think the, the, the issue and the solution as well is basically to, to tackle both of them, um, to have the right tooling. And of course, we have something beautiful there, just to remind it again, um, but also to to help those people um, working together um, and speaking the same language and, and not, you know, making it a us versus them, because that is still what I see in a lot of companies. And, and, and those are the ones who do something in machine learning or AI 
but will not be successful on the long term, I believe. No, I'd agree completely. And and it's interesting when you bring up the idea of the BI competency centers, because uh, my, my background really started in BI. And, and a lot of the same things are, in fact, happening, right? So if we think about where BI came from, we had all of this data um, that was being stored in an on-premise relational database systems underneath applications. And you had business users who simply wanted some insights, uh, generally, you know, backwards looking insights to that data. What happened? Who are my, who are my customers? Uh, what's the average order value? And in order to get that, they had to go and work with DBAs who were scripting um, jobs to get the data out and then usually giving it to something like a, a flat file and, and probably at that time something like, you know, like a Lotus Notes workbook. And an entire industry um, and category came up around how do we make it more efficient to get this data out and get this data in the hands of the users who are making decisions. And, and similarly, you had the DBAs with all of the technical knowledge and know-how and skills to just manually script and extract things. But the second we started making it easier for DBAs to create repeatable processes, um, then that caused an explosion that became known as business intelligence. And then that evolved and said, rather than just making it easier for these highly technical people to just create the, the reports that people want. How do we create a framework that the business user can potentially go in and get the report themselves? And the way it really evolved is we had a lot of self-service tools, we had BI competency centers, and we have visualization tools. And we continue to see an evolution towards the cloud, and you know, SAP Analytics Cloud is a good example of that. But a very similar evolution is starting to happen within the, the realm of, okay, we've got even more data than ever before. And rather than just having a couple of on-premise systems, on-premise relational database uh, management uh, systems where we just need to extract that data, load it somewhere, and build a reporting solution, we now have structured data, unstructured data, semi-structured data, image data, audio data, sensor data. So the, it, it's, it's exploded. And in order to, to keep up with that, a lot of the tools that were created were created to solve one specific problem. So here's my tool for dealing with structured data. Here's my tool for dealing with how do I store all these streams of data. Here's my tool for managing my data lake. But being able to have here's a comprehensive single set of tools to manage all of this data and the process by which I extract meaningful value from this data, i.e. utilizing data science in a collaborative fashion, um, that's really what we're trying to accomplish, and it's the same end goal, which is how do we get the end users, the business users who need critical information to make decisions, how do we get that to them in a timely fashion, in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can accept and trust, and do it repeatably. And that's really, I think, the, the foundation of where we're going with data intelligence. And it, it absolutely comes down to this idea that we've proven the value of data science and machine learning. I don't think anyone would dispute that there's significant value there. But now, how do we go from you know, these little, uh, what we call skunkwork projects, where we've solved a, you know, a $10 million or $100 million problem with some incredibly smart people, how do we solve, instead of one $10 million problem, how do we repeatably solve 10 $1 million problems or $100,000 $100, problems and do that in a scalable way where everyone's working together? And I think when, when companies are able to unlock that level of scale and collaboration in that model, um, the, the potential upside there is, is astronomical. And I think there's some significant advantages um, to being one of the first movers that's actually able to embrace this new model rather than trying to keep everything in, you know, a separated ivory tower environment. 
So Mark, whenever we're really talking about these capabilities that we need to bring this collaboration and when you guys were originally designing the product, what are some like key things that, that, that were critical for this from like the data wrangling and the metadata management and the management like Kevin was talking about to actually operationalize and get things to production? What are some key things that we're providing and, and maybe how is it different than other things that SAP has done in the past that's kind of what I think to be kind of really interesting and evolutionary? What, what do you think, Mark? Naya, the, I mean, I mean, technology-wise, and that's maybe, so I'm, I'm more the, the technical, uh, I do have more the technical background, so that is for me, of course, then maybe the, the interesting piece. But technology-wise, we, we really tried um, to, uh, to come up with a solution who is scaling, who is running in the cloud, who is running hybrid, who is running, uh, which is running on-premise as well. Um, by choosing the latest and greatest uh, container technology which is out there. So that's, of course, from a, let's say, deployment perspective, which is a real innovation because it was also the first solution by SAP of such kind, um, which makes us, of course, proud and, of course, give us also the flexibility to be deployed and, and run basically everywhere. Um, but from a capability perspective, I think what really um, was super important also for me in the beginning when, when we defined the scope and the, the, the use case of the product was really this end-to-end -end perspective. We really wanted to combine basically the capabilities which are needed to fulfill all of this task which Kevin and, and I um, said, said before. And, and of course, we cannot be a tool which can do everything, and that's not our goal, right? It's, we just have some, some boundary, still some boundary conditions, of course. But what we tried is really to bring the most important capabilities um, together in one platform where you have everything you need from connectivity, no matter to what, not limited to SAP solutions, not limited to, to systems, but also to, uh, for example, messaging technologies, um, to data lakes, to cloud um, stores, to, um, to whatever. Um, then brought together a real rich set of, um, let's say, pipelining technology, pipelining and orchestration, on the one hand side moving the data, but on the other also, let's say, triggering the processes which are needed and pushing it down to the best environment to do the job and execute and do the, the processing. And then on the other side, not forgetting that if there is this someone um, overseeing this landscape and integrating and processing data, you also need to have an understanding about um, the quality and the, the metadata and the structures, right? So we added a data catalog in the solution. So that is, of course, then the second capability now, beside uh, pipelining, cataloging. And then we realized in all of the projects uh, we had in the very early PUCs, we realized that most customers are addressing machine learning use cases with it. And we said, okay then we do believe we need to implement that much more smoother. And, and what we came up with was then, let's say, the, the next pillar was an embedded way how you can create and train and also deploy machine learning models by, for example, using then 
um, an integrated Jupyter notebook by embedding um, predefined machine learning services from object detection to text-to-speech, for example. Um, so we, we brought all of this together because we believe um, customers need such a platform uh, and we do believe those capabilities are belonging to together. Um, and we did a lot of analysis and a lot of interviews and we also learned how customers are doing and implementing that today. And, and even, for example, uh, in-house, we at SAP, we of course have also such use cases. And we saw one use case, for example, where we also brought together um, enterprise data, unstructured or semi-structured data. We did some machine learning and, and tried to bring and loop the results back in an analytical solution. And we used 15 different solutions for that. Uh, so we realized, oh, there, there must be a, a business case. There must be a way to do this more efficient. And I'm not saying that we turn them down to one tool, but there is a significant chance to limit the number of participating tools to have one platform which is leading this process and bringing the capabilities together. And if we're having a solution that does what you guys have talked about, brings together the data architects, the data scientists, you know, Kevin talked about, it's one thing to do a POC, it's another thing to get it to production with pipelining and cataloging and Jupyter Notebooks and everything that y'all have talked about. If everyone's like on the, this collaborative tool where they can all work together and get everything they need and, and get it deployed and manage it, what does that mean for, for governance and, and security? And what are some key capabilities that, that you found important? I'd like, I'd like to hear this from both of your perspectives. In order, if we're going to bring everyone together, how are we going to make sure everything's safe? So, I mean, there's, there's a number of different things that, that we have to think about, but particularly when we start talking about um, data science in, in a scalable way, governance and transparency uh, are critical, and, and they're critical in, in any data topic, right? So the concepts of transparency as well as privacy um, are, are evolving and becoming such an incredibly important topic. So, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things that are out there are, are very black box models. So, you know, any number of solutions that will claim to, to, you know, automatically score leads or, you know, give you this answer, but how or why was that answer given is often not transparent to you as an organization. And if we think of a number of the use cases that come from customers, I mean, if you had a, a model up and running that told you that this machine part is going to break, so you take your production down line and you replace the part, um, that's good if it works, um, but it's causing you a lot of extra expense and downtime if it is a false positive. And the only way that you're going to be able to identify if you can trust the system and if it's a false positive is whether or not you have the level of transparency into why you're getting the answer you're getting out of that model and what data went into that model and what transformations were applied to the data before it got fed into that model. And, and then if something changes in the data, the model can, can all of a sudden stop performing, right? So one of the things that's very different compared to say a BI solution is you can't just design it once, deploy it and walk away. Um, you actually have to constantly monitor and make sure that those models continue to give you good results because the, the signal in the data could, could change. And if you don't have the ability to some degree to automate that, that life cycle management, that testing and that retraining, all of a sudden you have 
humans involved in trying to make sure models are being performant, um, and that takes away their time to do other things. And, and again, these are not particularly highly available or low-cost resources. So in terms of being able to, to do it at scale and do it in a way that's trustworthy, a layer of governance is important to understand where the data is coming from, um, is it being properly anonymized, if I had some privacy requirement, can I trace where this data is being used if I needed to eliminate or delete it and what impact that would have potentially on, on models or reports or wherever I'm feeding this data. And then being able to have the transparency in the design, the deployment, and the management of the models to understand why they're producing the results they're producing uh, and being able to troubleshoot them if that's the case. And then the third one, um, and this is really where the, the, the human element becomes really important, um, is how do we make sure that as we are applying basically advanced mathematics and statistics, that we're not making poor decisions because the math is correct, but the math is actually um, not detecting uh, some kind of human bias, right? So there's this concept of encoding bias. If, if I take a look at, at, at correlations, there's a real strong desire to say this correlation means there's a causal relationship. Um, so if I were to analyze, you know, say different salaries, they're, they're most likely in many situations would be a disparity based on gender. Now, most people would say that's an indicator that there's some kind of potential for bias based on gender and, and salary. And that's a, you know, a very big and important topic of conversation in general. If we just leapt to the conclusion and said, well, the math says that based on gender, these people make more or make less, and therefore there's a causal relationship, and you put a model into production, you could be making decisions and taking sort of our own biases and directly embedding them into an automated process through a machine learning model. So, so you know, to summarize, there's three critical areas. The first is, do I know where the data comes from and that I'm protecting privacy as necessary, and I know what's been done to that data so I know I can trust it and prove um, where it came from. The second is, when I create these models, are they open enough that I can understand why they're giving me the results that they're giving so I can try and diagnose them if something goes wrong? And third, do I have people involved in the process who are very aware of potential biases that the models might be showing us strong correlations, but that doesn't mean that it's a causal relationship and really applying sort of their level of very humanistic knowledge to make sure that the models you create are accurate in the sense of not just mathematically accurate, but accurate in terms of the results you want to drive and keeping, you know, in mind the fact that oftentimes math will give you a true answer, but it's not the, the it doesn't, it doesn't have the ability to account for um, what I'll call, you know, potential human or society-based issues. And, and those three things are critical to make sure that we get this right, especially if we're going to scale and automate at the level that uh, I think that the world is going. Um, being, being a, making one bad decision is, is obviously a problem. Automating the bias and making, you know, 100,000 bad decisions and then lacking the transparency to understand why it's happening, that, that's a real problem. And, and it's something that we really need to make sure um, that we avoid. And that's built into when we delivered this solution, how do we make sure we have the metadata management, the data governance, the lineage, the, the transparency, the debriefability of models. All of those are tools to make sure not only can I successfully solve one scenario, but how do I solve multiple scenarios 
get them at scale, automate them, and make sure that we can trust the data, trust the model, and trust the performance of those models. Mark, what is your what do you think? Do you, do you agree? Do you have more to add to that, or do you have different uh, governance things you think are critical? I mean, you you realize that that, that Kevin is truly the data scientist from both of us. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. You know, that's what he is seeing, and I, I can only agree to that. I mean, he's fully right. But let me also put another um, perspective on governance, which is maybe more the operation side of it, life cycle of it, because that is usually what is heavily underestimated in the beginning, where such projects start as a little PUC, as a little lab environment, somehow turn it into production. But if you really then start to develop and multiple people for multiple projects do create multiple versions, and not only on the model itself, but on the whole, let's say, pipeline to the model, like where's the data get going uh, or coming from? Where's it going to? How do I bring the outcome of a trained model back into a, in, into a process? How do I leverage and consume that? If you really think that through, um, then governance and operations means for me also, you must be able to uh, to administer that and to, to operate that and to make sure that runs consistently and production is repeatable and reliable. And then um, it's a complete different topic because then in my example I made before with this 15 different environments and tools and technologies, if one of those technologies breaks, you will have the issue end to end, right? And and therefore, I, I, I can also on the governance and on the operations side of the house not emphasize enough how important this end-to-end -end thinking is, to really start thinking this whole scenario and whole use case through from the beginning, meaning where's the data sitting, where's it coming from, how does it look like, to what do I want to do with it, and how do I then consume it? Because if, if you not tackle that, um, you can have the nicest model and the, the, the best insight and best findings, but you will not be able to operate and to bring it into production, which is, of course, maybe initially boring, but in the end, it's what makes such a, a project uh, a success or not. Mm -hmm. Good. Kevin, do you have anything to add? I mean, I, I'd say that, that Mark's absolutely correct, and really the, the, the concept that we think about all the time is this idea of, um, an AI assembly line, right? So if you look at sort of the, the history of the Industrial Revolution, we can produce goods with hyper-generalized people, right? And, and they can just do everything from start to finish. But where we saw, you know, a massive step change in productivity um, was by creating the standardization of parts, the standardization of processes, and specialization um, along this sort of factory assembly line, right? So think of the Ford Model T, you had repeatable processes, replaceable, repeatable uh, standardized parts, and, and everyone just did their job and passed it along the line. And then the line moved and brought the jobs to the people who needed them. Um, that's, a, that's a physical construct. If you think about what an ERP system really is, you can think of that as the uh, almost the factory assembly line for information, right? Routing the necessary information from one knowledge worker to the next, and that brought a step change in productivity as well. And I think the next piece beyond that 
is how do we take artificial intelligence and create the similar type of assembly line? So if we think about starting with data connectivity, how do I connect to manage data in a highly distributed environment? How do I make it possible to find that data and make it available? All of that is the, the realm of, you know, data ops, data architects, enterprise architects, you know, data engineers. Then how do I pass that off to being able to extract some kind of insight from that? And this could be the realm of BI analysts, or in the case of machine learning, it could be the realm of data scientists who build that model. How do I then pass that off so that I can scale that you know, that operation and, and automate it in the way that Mark is talking about. So there is no break that, that causes it to, to fail. Um, in the BI world, that could be utilizing tools like SAP Analytics Cloud. Um, in the realm of machine learning, that's really, you know, part of where data intelligence, both the data connectivity and the, the development and deployment of those models. And this is often the realm of IT operations. And then the last piece of this, is how do I take the result of this and scale it out into the hands of the correct business users? So I may want to just make it available as a visualization in a report. I may want to integrate it directly into my business application so that a knowledge worker just sees the result of a model as they're trying to make a decision. I could want to uh, improve or personalize interactions with my customers using something like a chatbot. So we have something called conversational AI that allows you to do that, but I can enrich that experience by feeding it with the results of all these machine learning models I've created. Um, or I may want to automate different business processes and completely remove a human from that particular equation. But what business process I use in what scenario is often informed by the output of, of these machine learning models. So we sort of see it as this large process chain. And if you're able to do that, your ability to scale and actually deliver business value and insights and take action against all of this data um, is, is, a, is a stepwise transformation that really would, would increase your productivity significantly. So it's, it's really a shift in how we think about data science as something that's off on its own to how do we bring this into part of an end-to-end -end business process um, and that's really what we kept in our minds as we were building this solution. And I think Mark really did a good job of talking about that. It, it may be one of the most boring things to think about, right? How do I make it repeatable? How do I make it operational? How do I make it scalable? Um, but that's really where you go from delivering something really cool, but it's one of a kind, to delivering something high impact um, at, at massive, massive scale. And, and that's really the, the end goal here. That's excellent. Thank you, Kevin. We just have a couple minutes left. I just want to end with one more question just to throw out there. Um, so, I mean, SAP, we release lots of solutions, right? That's what we are. We're a software company. Is this just another, you know, monolithical big solution where everything is like a big ERP, but like a platform version of that? And do I have to have ABOP to use it? Mark? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's our, I don't know. That's that's what uh, people think, but no, 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 no. It's it's exactly the opposite. So, um, I mean, ABAP is always a benefit, right? It's <laughs> for many years in the industry, but no, you you, you do not need to to know it. Um, the solution itself, um, it's like I said, it's based on container technology. It's open, so you can bring your own model, you can bring your own library, you can use Java, you can use GoLang, you can use whatever you want. Uh, whatever can be squeezed in a container can run on our platform. And that's also, of course, it's for SAP also new, uh, you know, not, not kidding there. It's also for SAP a mind shift to say, hey, 
there is an open platform, bring whatever you want, we execute it and we make a life cycle around it. Uh, believe me, what I learned the last year is uh, crazy. A lot of words, a lot of technologies I haven't heard before. Um, but that's exactly the, the strength of it. Um, so everything can be squeezed in. Uh, we can manage it. We can execute it. Um, ABAP does not hurt, um, but it's absolutely not, not needed. But of course, there is also for the ABAP gurus out there, there is, of course, also a way how you can delegate ABAP uh, function modules and what have you to an ABAP-based system. But that's also uh, it. Um, so. You, you should definitely explore and, and get convinced that uh, it's not monolithical and it's not upper based. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining today. That's the end of our time. Uh, Kevin, I appreciate you've done several of these podcasts. Thank you so much. Mark, thank you guys for joining, and we hope we'll see you on our next podcast. Thanks, everybody. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Thanks, Ginger. Bye-bye.